Welcome to the Great Little Zion Baptist Church. We celebrate your presence here today with us. Enjoy the worship service as you sit back and listen to the singing as it gives inspiration to your soul and then the preaching of the word of God as it gives instruction to your soul. Be blessed as God has a word for you today. Squares walk in Jerusalem. 
morning Zion if you will get your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Nehemiah the book of Nehemiah chapter 8 and we're going to read verses 1 through 3 although we're going to reference the first 12 verses of the 8th chapter but we're only going to read verse 1 2 and 3 and we're going to concentrate our efforts around the single phrase that's found in the last line of verse 3, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1, 2, and 3. Again, Happy New Year to each and every one of you who may not have heard uh, my um, greeting on last Sunday to say Happy New Year to each and every one of you again today. May that be so. Again, may this year be one of great prosperity and victory for you. I'm asking you to declare that in your journey for this year. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 8 beginning at verse 1 here is the word of the Lord and all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given to Israel then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women, and here's our verse, those who could understand and all the people were attentive to the book of the law all the people who were attentive to the book of the law. As I stated on last Sunday, our theme for this year, 2021, is the year of recovery. We experienced in year 2019 and 2020. 2019 was the year of the stretch. 2020 was the year of the stretch continued. And now, coming through 2020 and the coronavirus from March to even our present moment, we want to concentrate our efforts on understanding the importance of the process of recovery, gaining something back that was lost, or renewing, restoring something that we've been looking for as well. So the title of this sermon is The Process of Recovery, Part 1. I've been told that there are five stages of the recovery process that one should be made available, should be made aware of in terms of understanding how the process of recovery works. The first stage is that one should sort of examine the impact of the problem the impact of the problem. The individual may very well be overwhelmed by the disabling power of the problem that they are experiencing. And so it behooves one who may begin the process of recovery by examining 
how that problem is impacting their life. The second stage suggested is that not only the impact of the problem, but how the problem has life and how, it, uh, how the problem has life and how that life is limited. The person who is given into that disabling power of the problem actually limits their life because they permitted the problem to dictate how their life will be lived out. The third stage is to recognize that change is possible, that one actually can transition from that dark space of despair to this new space of life and light and living in the glory of life Change is possible when one embraces the idea that they've recognized the impact and that they also have noticed that they are permitting their life to be limited by the problem. But then there's a fourth stage, and the fourth stage is once one notices that change is possible, then it requires a commitment to change. Many times our lives remain in the same manner it's simply because we just do not make the commitment to change. We know we need to change. We know we are in problematic scenarios. We know that our life is limited by whatever it is that seems to be blanketing our happiness, our joy, but we've yet made that commitment to change. And that's that fourth stage of recovering. One has to make a commitment if I'm going to recover what I've lost, I've got to change. And then the fifth stage is the action to change. The action to change. So I not only must make a commitment, but I've got to do more than just merely talk about change. I've got to actually put together a plan for change. Now I gave you those five steps because later on in the month, I'm going to come back and address each of these in another sermon, but I thought I'd give it to you as the initial observation as we talk about this recovery process. Now, why is that important? Because Jesus was in the business of recovering in people's lives, helping them recover. Listen to what Mark records in reference to Jesus. Mark 16, 18, Jesus grants the disciples this power ability to recover. Listen at the text. They shall lay hands on the sick and the sick shall recover. Again, I want to talk about that later because I want to unpack that because that actually means more than just physical healing because recovery is more than that. But then listen to what Luke says in Luke 4.18, a part of Jesus' mission Luke says that Jesus came to help recovery of the sight to the blind. So those who have been blinded by whatever particularity, whatever malady, need help in recovering. And then thirdly, Paul admonishes Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24, he tells him, be gentle, teach, be patient, but here it is, help people recover 
from the snares of Satan. Man, I can't wait to get to those points because later on in the month, that's going to be a powerful outpouring. He tells Timothy, help people recover from the snares of Satan. For some of those exiles, it was a desired memory they would love to have forgotten. However, that interpretive, horrific experience would not seem to escape their psyche. It hung around with such a haunting details that a workable remedy was simply not to engage in conversation, particularly about its duration, about its difficulty, about the disappointment and the displacement of the exile. The fact that they had made it out of Babylon and return to Jerusalem is as much as they wish to discuss with anyone. They are soon to forget that the moment had occurred and they want no part of it in its memory. And there are those who feel the same way regarding our current pandemic context. And although we have no conclusion date as to when the pandemic will cease to be, no idea when that time will come to pass, some are glad that year 2020 has finally been put behind them. Or has it really been put behind them? I personally pose no criticism for those persons who, because we are not all built the same, we don't all handle adversity the same, we don't all endure pain the same, nor do we measure the outcome of the experiences the same. However, their interpretive experience, it's valuable because in some form or fashion, those persons of an exile and the pandemic are still learning, learning about themselves, learning about others, learning about how to survive, and how to maintain their sanity in the midst of a context that is quite threatening. On the other hand, there were those in the exile who prospered. They matured in the exile. They multiplied in the exile. They even found love and built families in the exile. They gave birth to new life in the exile and even decided that when the exile was over, they would remain in Babylon. And as I have noted in a previous sermon, what looked like a burden to many actually turned out to be a blessing in disguise. In the same manner, some view the pandemic with such favor as well. What looked to be viewed as an evil has amazingly been turned around. Have you noticed that the word evil is actually live spelled backwards? And some of those in the exile, as well as some of us in the pandemic, has decided that rather than embrace the interpretation as evil, they've decided to embrace the idea to live in the context of where they are. Nehemiah posed 
a twofold question that warrants our attention this morning. He said, I'm asking in verse one of chapter two of his book, I'm asking concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the captivity about Jerusalem. Two groups of people that Nehemiah is really concerned with, those who were left in Jerusalem. They were left in Jerusalem because remember, Nebuchadnezzar only took the best of the population and those that he left behind were considered not necessarily the worst, but the less prepared of life. We would call them the marginalized or the poor. He was concerned, Nehemiah, about those who were left in Jerusalem as well as those who returned from the exile. A sociological question would have been when those who come back with all of that ability that they have been taken into Babylon and now they've acquired more, what will they do to make contribution back in Jerusalem to bring it back to the state of its former glory? Nehemiah heard in his, in his request, his inquiry, listen to the response. Things are not going well for those who return to the providence of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The walls of Jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. Nehemiah 1 and 3. They made it out. I'm going to paraphrase what I think that respondent told Nehemiah. They made it out, and they made it back home safely, but they are a wreck psychologically. They are a wreck sociologically. They are a wreck theologically. They are a wreck emotionally. They are in the recovery mode, but don't understand the process. Why? for 70 years. Now you got to remember that not all of them endured the 70 years. In fact, some of them were born in the exile. And they don't have the interpretive understanding of the history of how their people got in that space in the first place. One of the things I've tried to do in my ministry now for the last 30 years is to help folk understand many of the still contemporary issues that we wrestle with sociologically have their roots in the past. And one of the things I think that the elders sought to teach those who were born in the exile, history. History of their relationship with God, history in terms of who they were as a people, and history in terms of the promise of the destiny and where they were going, and then, of course, to tell why they are in Babylon. If I had the time, and I probably will in the month of February, because that's, quote-unquote, Black History Month, actually every month, every day is Black History Time, but I'm going to explain some of the maladies that we still deal with because they have historical roots that we've never really addressed. In fact, I think we're actually going around what's actually extremely critical that we address. But these exiles who are now returned to Jerusalem are struggled. Remember what they told Nehemiah. They are in great trouble and they are disgraced. They're in great trouble because they don't know how to handle 
this process of an exile and now they're in a recovery mode and they need help but they're disgraced because they're wrestling with the promise of God made known to them by their elders and it doesn't match up with what they're seeing in their eyes. What's the consequence? Their valuable resources of hope, faith, patience, vision, anticipation, and joy has been depleted and they need to engage in this recovery process. Nehemiah not only leads a recovery mission of rebuilding the wall, but we're going to notice in chapter 8 that he summons, or should I say they summons the people, the assistance of Ezra to lead the mission of recovering their mindset. This pandemic has provided what I think to be an exact replica of persons who are now in the recovery mode. They are dealing with, quote unquote, the unexpected. They're struggling because the unexpected has occurred in their life. They did not plan, nor did they anticipate that a pandemic would come about. None of us did. But isn't life like that? Life gives us those unexpected moments without announcement, pre-warning. They're struggling because of the unpredictability of these moments. They don't know how long they're going to last, nor do they know if there is an end in sight. They're struggling. All of us want this pandemic to end now, but it's not. We don't see any end, I shouldn't say not in sight, but it's not going to be anytime soon. They're struggling with that unpredictability, but they're also struggling with the unfamiliar. They've never seen, I've never seen, many of us have never seen anything like this that remotely resembles this pandemic. It's something different. And they're uncomfortable. They feel stretched. They feel uneasy. They feel awkward. They feel pessimistic about the future. If you listen to much of what's recorded and displayed on radio, television, social media, too much of that can overwhelm you. And people are like that, trying to be informed, but not understanding. You may have to temper how much of that information comes into your spirit. Yet, in the heart of these exiles, and even in the hearts of each of us, there is something internal by way of inspiration that causes us to have to uncover, uncover our fear and uncover our doubt and expose theirs as well as you and I potential of thinking big because the God that we serve is a big God. And so when you begin to read Nehemiah 1 through 6, it's all about recovering the city, the space of existence, that, that, that place in which they find their aboding. 
the rebuilding of the wall, that space of protection. But you also find that they had to work at handling the opposition, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gershom, who constantly came antagonizing and insisting that they were going to fail, the fact that they need to stop their project. And in chapter 4, Nehemiah makes that most profound statement, I cannot come down off of the wall, I am about a good work. And then the text says, the people had a mind to work. That's one of the things that God is working on in this recovery mode. If you're going to do that, your mind has to be dealt with. But they had to deal with that kind of opposition. They had to deal with handling internal family dynamics of exploitation, of anger, and government shutdown. Read Nehemiah, particularly chapter 4, 5, and 6, and you'll recall how there were those in their own family who exploited them, used them, stretched them to the point where they had to sell themselves as slaves to others. And Nehemiah was made aware of this and made it clear this is not right. We cannot participate in self-destruction. That's another one of those sermons I want to preach in February about how we self-destruct as a people the way in which we treat and the way in which we devalue one another. And Nehemiah confronted those who were doing such injustice and remind them that this is not what God demanded of us. And yet, amazingly, Nehemiah was able to lead a people who accomplished a task that should have taken a whole lot longer, and yet it was accomplished in 52 weeks. Listen, or 52 days, I'm sorry. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month of Elul in 52 days. What should have probably taken months to years, amazingly, somehow was done in 52 days. And it came about when all our enemies heard of it and all the nations surrounding us saw it they lost their confidence for they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God one reason why I'm pointing this issue out of recovery is because you have to survive but also recover from this pandemic because the enemy is watching that's what Nehemiah says the enemy is watching your haters are watching those who suggested you would fail those who actually want you to fail those who are doing all they can to hopefully derail you disconnect you from your destiny they want you to fail and God is trying to tell us in this text of Nehemiah you have to survive you've got to fight through you've got to do all you can to recover what has been lost because the enemy is watching and when the enemy watches God wants you to recover what you have lost by having you accomplish what seems to be impossible and the rebuilding of that wall in 52 days was an impossible task 
But don't forget the last line of verse 17. And it says, they did it. And all of their enemies, all of their haters, all of those who had no confidence or trust in them, they lost confidence. They couldn't believe it. But what they didn't recognize, says last, last line, verse 17, they did it because they had the help of God on their side. And that's where you got to get to a point now in your life to recognize in the beginning of this new year, 2020 is gone. Shut the door, get you some nails, nail the coffin down, bury it, move on, turn the page, start a new chapter. 2021 is fresh. God helped you get through 2020. Now let's look and see the amazing things that God's going to do in 2021. Why is this text so important? Because if you read Nehemiah 6 and 16 very slowly and listen to it about the enemies, about the haters, very slowly, you can feel God actually demonstrated what he prophesied in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. Listen to that. Sandalit, Tobiah, and Gershom, they tried all they could to use the weapon of doubt and the weapon of fear to stop those exiles from recovering what they had lost but it didn't prosper because the Lord was there to help them accomplish what need to be accomplished. And if you keep your eyes, lift them up to the hills from whence come your help, I'm here to tell you, God will help you accomplish all that you set out to do. He will shut the mouth of your enemies and your haters so that no weapon that they attempt to use will prosper. Then he says, every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. In other words, when all is said and done, we'll get the last laugh. We'll end up having the last word because in trusting God, not permitting the intimidation or the discouragement by enemies to keep you from recovering what you have lost, God will give you the last word in judging those who seem to want to judge you. Then the text says, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. That means that it's going to happen because God says I have declared it. And so Nehemiah recognized that the exiles not only had returned, you've returned, you're in year 2021, you've returned, they made it back from a difficult experience, but keep in mind, as I said before, some were there longer than others, and some were returnees, were born in the exile. But it's also clear, very clear, that the first step for Nehemiah was to rebuild the wall and the city. He put a plan together, he got people together, and again, he accomplished the task in 52 days. But here it is. The next step was for Ezra to help the exiles recover from the experience of the exiles and the challenge of a new beginning. As I said before, 
it's a new beginning for many of you. You made it out, but now recognize you are either recovering from something or you're trying to recover something. Watch the distinction. You're either recovering from something or you're trying to recover something. Where or which are you? As I alluded to earlier, the process of recovery has various stages, steps. In chapter 7, you'll notice that there's a whole list of all the returnees who came back from the exile, but chapter 8 begins the recovery process by noting how Nehemiah gives us the first stage or the first step in their recovery process. What is it? The first step is spiritual renewal. Spiritual renewal. Listen to the word of God. Chapter 8, verse 1, clause A. All the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. Now keep in mind their social, their material, their physical space has been restored. Jerusalem has been rebuilt or is being rebuilt. The walls have been rebuilt. But restoration without spiritual renewal can lead one to a dead-end street of emptiness and meaninglessness. Watch the text. All the people gathered at the water gate because it was a place where running streams of water would enter the city underground and go directly into the temple of God where the priests would wash themselves and their hands. They would do that to prepare themselves for priestly duty. Watch the parallel. God knows that you have to be restored by spiritual renewal. This gives us the meaning. In fact, this is one of the spaces in scripture that reminds us of one of the best revivals ever to take place in the Old Testament. And this helps us understand why revival is important in our spiritual renewal. We need a revival. Just as we attend church on Sunday, we should be able to come in the same manner doing revival because we need that spiritual renewal after being depleted by all that we have had to experience. Notice what the text says. They needed to recover their spiritual resource. It gets depleted prompting that need for revival. And what makes this so interesting is that at the end of the exile, God moved the heart of a pagan king by the name of Artaxerxes to allow Ezra, a scribe and a priest, to go back to Jerusalem to start preparing for the exile process, some argued 14 years earlier. And when the returnees begin to come back before Nehemiah, Ezra was there to rebuild the people. Why? Because the first step in recovery is spiritual renewal. You need to reconnect. And here's a good time now in this pandemic for you 
to spend time in reconnecting in terms of experiencing your spiritual renewal. I'm going to talk about reconnecting here in a minute, but your spiritual renewal. Here's a good time to assess where you are in kingdom building, where you are in your spiritual development, where you are in your spiritual growth. This is a good time to plug in to your spiritual renewal. They gathered at the front where that symbolic gesture of water flowing in to cleanse them, to get them ready. Here you are in the presence of God at your altar in your house where the flow of the Holy Spirit comes through to renew and to empower your life. Their first step was spiritual renewal. Their second step was spiritual reconnection. Listen to clause B. When they gathered in that water gate, they, says the text, verse 1, clause B, asked Ezra, the scribe, to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given Israel. Ezra, the scribe, the priest, the one trained in the word of God, helped them recover their spiritual connection by calling them to return to the word of God. Now I want to ask you some simple questions. What's your daily devotion like? What's your daily prayer time like? What's your daily commitment to God like? Do you actually spend time without rushing, without planning it on the whim? Is it a part of your daily life to arise in the morning or at some point in time through the course of the day or before you close to lay your head down at night to spend ample time with God in the word? You will never know the Lord without the word. I don't care what anybody tells you. You will never know God without the word. You can't grow in that manner. You've got to have the word because the word is what leads you to justify and to help you understand the consequence or the circumstance or the situation to which you become involved. You need the word. And they recognize that they needed the word and they told Ezra, bring us, come before us with the word of God. Why Ezra? And not Nehemiah, because Nehemiah's assignment was to rebuild the wall. Ezra's assignment is to help the people recover. Ezra had determined to study and to obey the law of the Lord. And then the Bible says, and to teach those decrees and regulations to the people of Israel. Ezra 7 and 10. That, that's his assignment. I'd love to be able to entertain you because I see that makes a lot of people happy and excited. But that's not my assignment. My assignment is to teach the word of God, to expose and expound and explain what the text said. I admit, I can't get you going. I can't get you hollering and shouting and rolling in the floor. But I guarantee you this, if you listen to what I'm saying, you're going to get the word. They sought the man of God with the word of God 
so that he could reconnect by way of spiritual renewal to the power of God. And that's what you need to be doing in this second stage right now in your recovery process. You want to reconnect to God, however that is. And I implore you, get you a daily devotion. Spend some time in the word of God. Read through the Gospels. Read through the Proverbs. Read through the Psalms. Find an anchor, a foothold in the scripture and just read and ask the Holy Spirit to give you an understanding. But to do that, they had to go to the third step, third stage. This is my final point. They had to experience spiritual recommitment. Listen to verse two and three. Listen to the text. Then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of the men, women, and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, and he read from it before the square, which was in front of the water gate, from early morning until noonday. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Early morning until noonday listening to the word of God. Now, don't get that spiritual idea that everybody was standing there in staunch attention happy that wasn't the case there was some um, certainly who didn't last very long went their separate ways maybe came back later I'm certain of that but there were those who remained there I do believe for the duration of the early morning to the midday they were the example of how to endure when you certainly want to leave the situation there are many people who want to bail out of the pandemic and they have done so some in a very fatal manner some in manners in which their lives are not only disconnected but they're disoriented but I'm here to tell you if nothing else but the basic principles that's offered in the Proverbs hang out in the word of God and allow it to help you make that spiritual recommitment remember I told you at the outset in those early five stages one of them is we have to recognize that we can change change is possible but we have to commit to that change and listen to the people they were committed to that change look at the last line of verse 3 not only in the presence of men and women uh, Ezra read the word but those who could understand but then look at this last line. And all of the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were listening to the word of God. They were engaged in listening to the word from early morning till noon. That verse alone tells me several things, then I'm done. Number one, watch this, they were eager. They were eager to hear the word. They wanted to recover. And I want to challenge you. Do you know that you want to recover whatever you lost in 2020? They were eager to hear the word. Are you that eager to get to hear what thus says the Lord? They were hungry. The Bible says that they told Ezra, bring us the book. We need nourishment. 
from the word of God to be able to have the strength to recover. When David in 1 Samuel chapter 30 prays to God, what should I do? And God tells him to pursue. David consults the one person that he know can give him the right direction. I'm just here to tell you when you consult the word of God, when you are hungry, God will give you an answer to your prayer. Are you hungry? Are you eager? They were attentive. Look what the text says. All were attentive. All the people were attentive to the book. How well do you value scripture? They were eager. They were hungry. They were attentive. But look at verse 4 through 6. They were ready. Verse 4 says, And Ezra described, stood at the wooden podium. Here it is stood at the wooden podium which they had made for the purpose for preaching for reading of the word exposition expounding explaining the word again I can't entertain you I, I really can't but my calling and my anointing is strictly about unpacking what the text says and then there's a list of priests who stood with him in verse 4 but then look at verse 5 and Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people for he was standing above the people that's the reason why the pulpit is exalted above the congregant it's not a tradition in the sense it's a symbolic gesture of receiving the word from on high down to the people but here's what it says he opened the book and all the people stood up. You ever wondered why in our worship service that when we come to the reading of scripture, I have you to stand. There it is right there in the text. It's honor, it's reverence to the sacred scripture. And look what it says in verse 6. And then Ezra blessed the people, blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, amen. Amen. While lifting their hands, then they bowed down and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Why? Because they were ready to experience recovery. And then finally, they were learners. They were learners because in verse 7 and 8, see that listing of the names of the priest? Verse 8 says, they read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. Because they needed spiritual recommitment. So I want to close with a few quotes and I want to say that when we're talking about recovery, let's think about these quotes. I want you to write them down. And maybe I'll give them to Sister Tara that she can put them on the screen for us. But listen to these quotes. I want you to think about the essence of them. Quote number one, when we talk about recovery, I want you to understand I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. I'm telling you it's going to be worth it. I'm not telling you it's going to be easy. It's going to be challenging. But I'm telling you, it's going to be worth it. 
when we get to the end of this year, the final day of December of 2021, Lord willing, you're going to look back, I believe, and recognize it may not have been easy, but it was worth the journey that I had to take to experience the process of recovery. Here's another thing. Recovery is about progression and not perfection. I'm not trying to suggest to you that you're going to live and learn how to live a perfect life. That's not going to happen. We can kill that idea right now. But I am saying to you, you can progress. You can mature. You can grow. You can move from where you are to another step. I don't care if you don't take but one step for the rest of the year. That's progress. Here's a third saying. And really get this. There is no shame in beginning again for you get a chance to build bigger and better than before did you get that there's no shame in having to have to recover start over again you listen to many particularly orthodox kind of right-wing christians preachers and they'll tell you how embarrassing it is that christian does this the christian does that christian you know, may experience bankruptcy, may have financial trouble, and it's, it's embarrassing. It's, it, listen to me. That's not in the book. That's not in the book. In fact, all through the Bible, many of the characters experience new beginnings. That's what this year is about. New beginnings, recovering. And listen to that quote again. There's no shame in beginning again. For it's a chance to build bigger and better than you had before. And then here's my last one. Recovery is scary. But so is remaining the same. Recovery is scary. But so is remaining the same. At least in recovery... I'm attempting to transform, transition. But in staying the same, I already know what I got. Spiritual renewal, spiritual reconnection, and spiritual recommitment. That, my brothers and sisters, is the process of recovery. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the word of which you've given us a chance to share with your people. Now, God, I pray all that are watching me this morning and they may be in a state in which their life may be in shambles as they begin 2021. Help them to remember the words of that old hymn, Be Not Dismayed. Whatever the tide, whatever the situation, whatever the moment, whatever the challenge, whatever the difficulty, God will take care of you. I pray that beneath his wings they will abide and trust your power to take care of them. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your restoration. Thank you for your love. And Lord, we love you and pray that today somebody comes to know Jesus Christ as Savior. We give you the glory for allowing that person's life 
to be not only transformed, but their name written in the Lamb's book of life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. That's my prayer today, my brothers and sisters, that today is a new beginning for someone. That as you listen to this word about recovery, you would embrace what the word of the Lord says here in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1 through 12, and recognize that you too can recover. I pray that if that is your decision, this is the day that God has granted you and that your life will be never the same from this point going forward. We rejoice with you and look forward to hearing what God is doing in your life. We express our thanksgiving, deep gratitude for each of you that so kindly and consistently support this ministry. Thank you for your tithes and offerings and your special gifts. Thank you by giving e giving by way of text, by phone, by way of check, however you give, we appreciate it. I appreciate it. On behalf of our entire congregation, thank you for making this ministry possible. We look forward to being able to do this week in and week out, and we pray that not only is God going to do a great thing for you in 2021, but that you believe it and that you embrace it. God loves you and so do I. Have a blessed, wonderful day and week in the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.